0: welcome to the a to z sports big orange podcast i am charlie burris uh i have zach you know what i just did what'd you just do i had the video on in another browser and it's playing directly into my ear i can't i'm like hinden hooker and akron game just off to a rough start already welcome to the a to z sports big orange podcast charlie burris that is my co-host zach reagan a to z sports tennessee writer wherever you listen throughout the world we thank you so much for listening to us zach and i talk everything balls every week here on the big orange podcast and if that sounds like something you want to listen to regularly go to the a to z sports podcast network feed apple spotify and subscribe there if you subscribe you won't miss our shows when we drop them on mondays and if you subscribe on youtube You can see us on Mondays on the live stream that we are doing right now as we speak. Folks are rolling in, tuning in, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Every Monday during the season here, me and Zach will be here for the Big Orange Podcast. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, Facebook.com, slash A to Z Sports Nashville, and A to Z Sports.com for all the stuff that Zach and I write on the internet. And, uh, and if you feel so inclined share the show go and tell if you you enjoy the show there's been a lot of people tuning in telling us they like what we're doing here go tell somebody about it you know what I mean tweet it tell them in person just when you if you meet somebody random on the street just hey you know what you should do big orange podcast just a suggestion all right with the administrative work out of the way Zach. Tennessee did it. Florida goes down in Neyland Stadium. The Vols, for just the second time in eighteen years, beat the Gators. They almost killed me. Uh, the t- the Tennessee just can't have it be easy ever. Frankly, uh, that's just not a thing that Tennessee ever does. Uh, Up by 17, but somehow only won by 5, and Florida had a chance at a Hail Mary right there at the end, but the Vols fight it off, and victory is ours. What a day, Zach. You watched this. We texted the whole time thinking the disaster was about to strike, uh, (laughs) but we made it. We've had a couple of days to digest now, uh, which is good because I think a lot of people saw me on the show with Crump. I was losing my mind. We took shots of whiskey. It was a whole thing. Uh, on on the post game show, the night of the game, uh, that was pretty wild. I have since I've been able to work through what I was feeling. Been able, I think I can maybe express myself a little bit better right now. And we'll get into all of it. But Zach, how'd you feel watching those Vols finally vanquish Florida again?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so much emotion that goes into watching that game, and. You're right. It was all over the place. We we're texting uh, back and forth with Austin Stanley. That, um, it was rough. I mean, even to that last second, like you said, Tennessee doesn't make it easy. Um, but that's a you know that's a that's not a bad Florida team, like everybody kind of said they were. That that team's better than I think people realize. Uh, Ventrell Miller, the linebacker, is one of the best defensive players in the nation, and he was everywhere, all over the field. The dude's dealing with a lot of pain. And still suited up, played, didn't just play, but impacted the game. I mean, he, yeah. what, he knocked out the fumble. Hendon Hooker's big 44-yard run. I mean, he comes all the way across the field to to push Hooker out of bounds. Like, he makes that play. Maybe Hooker scores on that play if he doesn't. I know they go on the score later on on that drive. But, but still, he was all over the place. He's a good player. Anthony Richardson's dynamic. It was more like the Anthony Richardson we saw against Utah, his best day passing. And, I mean, he's improving. That's what you expect from Anthony Richardson, any quarterback in the SEC like that. So, I don't think it was all Tennessee made him look better than he really is. I think he was in his own head a little bit in those Kentucky and South Florida games, worked through some things, much more dynamic against Tennessee. And, uh, that I mean, Florida's going to win some games this year. Um they're still building that program, Billy Napier still kind of learning the ropes in the sec or as far as how to be a head coach, but it's not a bad team. Uh, So the fact that Florida almost came back there wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't look at that as some big negative. You just beat Florida. I mean, that's all that matters in that game, right? Like you come, you win or you lose. It doesn't matter if it's uh, by 30 or by three, it hurts just the same. And in fact, some of those close victories hurt even more because you're so close to winning those games. But Hey, it's a Monday after beating Florida. It's not an emotion. We've had a lot over the last 17 years, but it feels pretty good, I have to say.
0: It's so nice to just have that off your back because the truth is, going forward, the games are only going to compound in terms of how important they are because mm-hmm. you, you're you going to start at, at a certain point if you continue to win, say you beat LSU. Those latter half games against Kentucky and against South Carolina, they're going to start holding the weight of the Sugar Bowl. And some things like that where it's going to be real imperative uh, on you to win. This one sets this the stage. We talked about it all last week. This is an unbelievable mom- momentum builder. It was a huge recruiting opportunity. We're going to talk about that too. Uh, everything about this was massive. You had to have this to have the importance on those later games. You don't have this one; those later games don't end up in that same, you know, really... Uh, big time spot, like they just might be if you continue to win. So, this is such a giant. Uh, what's the word? Trampoline, maybe launching pad. That's the less dorky way to say that. Launching pad uh, for for Hyple and this team. It just was so huge, and uh, I, 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 I. Well, before we we get into all of that, I, I'm going to give. I'll, I'll start out uh, by kind of giving my. Thousand foot view of everything in terms of what this means, because I think that's so important, because I, I I said after the game, my main emotion was like thankfulness, where I just went, I can't believe that this is what's really happened with this football team. And I want to get into that exact feeling. But before we do, just got to tell everybody about the amazing sponsor that makes this show possible, and that is Super Book Sports. Football is back. Nobody is more excited than your friends at Superbook Sports. And Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands. Uh, and right now, they will match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if the bet wins or loses. You do not have to be in Nashville and Knoxville to enjoy football this fall. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Tennessee app right now and uh, get in on all the action visit superbook.com for terms and conditions if you have a gambling problem call 1-800-889-9789 download that superbook sports app folks i've been using it uh, since the start of the season it's great uh they they have uh, everything you need there to get in your bets if you're i'm kind of a don't ever bet on tennessee person but if you are one of those people it's all there for you so superbook sports .com. I'm, I'm too superstitious. I just can't. If I would have bet Tennessee to beat Florida, they're going to lose to Florida. If I pick Florida, Tennessee might, you know. It, and in fact, I picked Florida to beat Tennessee last week. Ev- everybody gave me hell for that, as you should have. Congratulations. Uh, I deserved it. And then Ten- Tennessee won. So that's, I'm really the reverse psychology guy. But uh, Superbook Sports, go download it right there. And now, Zach. My thought coming out of this, obviously, it's amazing just for the, the the singular season. We we mentioned it. For your chances to get to a Sugar Bowl, anything. I mean, if you beat Alabama, Lord knows, a playoff. You know, we'll see. The, the implications, everything's in front of you. All the possibilities are there. But I think what really struck me was the power of this moment in the context of Tennessee sports in the last 15 years, because we've all suffered through it. If you've been a Tennessee fan for all of that time, where the where Tennessee beats Florida, Butch did it. Hey, you beat Florida, but you were already kind of checked out at that point on Butch. People were sort of skeptical. They were like, yeah, we're the better team. Will he actually win? You go down by 21 early and then pull it out. This game, you felt you were better than Florida from the jump. You were up by 17 at one point in this game, and they kind of come back at the end. Like, this was real. There's so much more hope, so much more enthusiasm. And then there's the element of, like, he's done – Josh Heupel has done this in a year. Less than two years ago, Tennessee is having a three-win season with the bald idiot. Like, Pruitt drove this thing so far into the crust of the earth that we weren't sure – What would happen? I mean, we were kind of like, who would even want this job? How, what is Danny White going to do? It's great that we got this, you know, million dollar AD. This is crazy that they did that. What that seems like a good move, but who is he even going to hire? Who's going to want this job? Well, Josh Heupel walks in, you and I. I mean, I think we were skeptical, just like everybody else. We were like, he runs kind of gimmicky offense. It worked at UCF, but it was sort of diminishing returns year over year. Like, is is it really an SEC system? Things like that. And this guy goes, and is 4-0 through four games in his second year and beats Florida for the second time in 17 years. I just, as I said, thankfulness was my main emotion where I just went, how, what did we, how did we do this? I never expected this from Tennessee. I had been so beaten over the head over the years to just think that this would never happen. There will never be a moment like this for Tennessee football like there was kind of with basketball, like there is right now with uh, baseball. It's not happening for football, and now, it is what do we do zach what how do we process this yeah
1: I, it's it's pretty overwhelming right like it really is <laughs> everything's coming up aces over the last year for tennessee sports i mean obviously it hasn't been perfect you lost in the ncaa tournament basketball you know baseball didn't make it as far as they wanted to go and, and who knows what happens with football but the step like everything's just taking such a huge step forward since danny white got the town and i'm not going to say Danny White's responsible for baseball doing well, considering he didn't hire Tony Vitello or basketball. Um, But I think just the energy that he's brought to Tennessee has just changed the mindset. I mean, you see that game uh, on Saturday and Tony Vitello out there. He's on college game day. He's pumping the crowd up. I mean, just the way that everybody's on the same page and pulling for each other. Um, not that that wasn't happening before, but I think everybody's just like really having a lot of fun at Tennessee right now. And people feed off of that. The players feed off of that. The students feed off of that. The fans feed off of that. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, Tennessee fans deserve it. I mean, after what every, everything that's gone on, you know, the last 10, 15 years, you, you definitely deserve it. And for me, Saturday, you know, that had the potential for a massive letdown. I, I thought Tennessee being a 10-and-a-half-point favorite, the fact that they're ranked number 11, some people could say they shot up the rankings a little too fast. I mean, you beat Akron. You beat Ball State. Your best win is against the Pittsburgh team that's good but not as good as the Pittsburgh team last year. They don't have Kenny Pickett, but you still win that game on the road. That's a nice win. And Tennessee goes from unranked to 11th in three weeks. I mean, that, that did seem a little fast. I said the 10 and a half point spread seemed a little much for for this rivalry in the way it's traditionally gone. Uh if you watch College Game Day on Saturday morning, they barely talked about Florida. They didn't really talk about Billy Napier, a brand new coach there, uh, Anthony Richardson, who looks like he could be one of the most dynamic players in the country when he's right, when he's on, when he's not hurt. And they didn't really mention them at all. It's like I just felt going into 330. Uh, on Saturday, I felt like okay, Tennessee is the better team, but we've seen this so many times before. Where Tennessee's got a good team, and and people are kind of jumping on that bandwagon a little bit, and then you know they they blow it. Florida makes a play at the end, so to be able to watch this game, to have some things not go Tennessee's way, there were some not great calls in that game. Uh, I'm sure on both sides, but there's a few. You know, you're I'm watching Tennessee and watching their players and. There's a few holding calls, horse collar calls that, that don't go Tennessee's way. You got a, a fumble when you get into the red zone. Hendon Hooker gets banged up. Florida makes the comeback at the end. They get the most beautiful onside kick I've ever seen in my life. Like that ball bounced as well as any onside kick has ever bounced. And you're just like, here we go. And they hold on. They win the game. And just to see the emotion from Josh Heupel after the game, to see the players celebrating. The fans in that environment. My favorite part is that they were in their traditional orange and white jerseys. So we don't have to see the the replays of, of beating Florida in just the smoky grays. Like you get this nothing against those, but it's just something about beating Florida in those uniforms that just made it a little, little better yeah. for me. Felt a
0: little more real for some reason.
1: Yeah. It didn't feel. Well, you know, you mentioned it there, where, we're in that game in 2016, you got the 21 point deficit. It's basically the Josh Dobbs and Jawan Jennings show that win that game for you, and and some other guys. You know, Josh Malone and and Jalen Hurd also made a big impact on that game. But Josh Dobbs and Jennings really just kind of willed that win to happen. And between that and and the image of Butch Jones being there and those gray jerseys, it didn't feel quite the same. It just felt like an outlier. In the last 17 years, it just t- t- just happened to go Tennessee's way. This this game, I think even in the moment, we knew that, too, in 2016. I think everything that happened in 2015 at the end of the season, or the way they lost a lot of those games in 2015, and even dating back to 2014, I feel like we kind of knew that. But this feels a lot different. Like, this feels real. It feels like, okay, this is like everything's going the way it should go. Tennessee's winning games the way they should win games. I'm like okay they're really doing this like that's how it feels to me I don't know about anybody
0: else absolutely I mean I, I couldn't agree more it's it's hard to describe but it's different because that's what everybody that is I think outside looking in has kind of said is just like well this is cool Tennessee's rebuilding but we've we've seen that before this is not the same and I, I even saw um Like I tweeted out that kind of how I said like appreciation and gratitude was sort of what I was feeling almost more than any other emotion was I was just like thank you Danny White thank you Josh Heupel thank you to everybody involved here because I can't believe that you've done this in 18 months and that this is actually how this is going it was just blowing my mind and I, I tweeted out you know something to that extent. And I got a couple people back who were like, you'll be regretting these comments in two years. We'll be doing... And I'm just like, shut up. Shut up. I'm as cynical as any Tennessee fan could possibly be. We have been beaten over the head for 15 years with with terrible things that have happened to Tennessee football. But I'm not going to not appreciate this incredible moment. And if Josh Heupel ends up sputtering out and he does end up like the past coaches having to be fired. I'm still gonna look back at this and be like, what an amazing time that was. Nealand was unbelievable. Tennessee was the better team and they beat Florida. This was the this was different. It was. There's no taking it back. This it like it is different no matter how you slice this. This is not Butch. This is not Pruitt. This is not Dooley. And we all know why. Even again, even if we have a hard time explaining it, we all know how this is different. Like the belief is real. And even if this guy sputters out, the belief is real right now. This is not like, I'm not going to look back and be like, I can't believe I said that. No, that's what you should be saying right now. It's like, holy cow, how is this real? I can't believe it. That bugs me so much, right? Just go, do you have joy in your life? Do you, how do you not, we we, we said it about a couple of weeks ago. It's like, how how do you truly uh, feel joy if you've never felt pain. Well, we've had so much pain. And so when this happens, I, I'm feeling genuine joy, I guess. Uh, and and so just sh- uh, screw off. Shut up with that. Like, oh, you'll regret it in two years. Yeah, maybe. But like, I'm still, this is an amazing moment. Regardless, I don't care about two years from now. This is amazing. Yes, so shut up with that.
1: I'll tell you what I did. I, uh, you know, w- when we're watching games, we're we're tweeting about stuff. We're texting with each other, we're making kind of notes about things because you know we're, we're we're working during these games. We have we have responsibilities and things we have to do. And um, late Saturday night, about about midnight, really, everybody in the house went to sleep by this point. And I turned the game. I mean, I flipped the game back on, and and I usually go back through the games, but I fast forward through certain parts and kind of get to see what I want to see. Refresh my memory on how certain things went. I sat down and watched that game from start to finish. Uh, I didn't even—I didn't fast forward through anything but commercials. I wanted to see the emotions on the sideline. I wanted to see the reactions from the players after plays, just the way they interacted with each other. See the reactions from the fans. Just take it all in. I, I mean, I literally—I set my phone, you know, five feet from me, and just zeroed in on the game, and it was truly one of the most fun games. I think I've ever watched, not just because Tennessee won, but it was truly a chess match between Billy up Napier and Josh Heupel. Yeah. Heupel's offense. And, you know, we we've titled this show is Heupel is Josh Heupel, the greatest offensive mind in college football. And that's a, it's a really hard question to answer. It's obviously very subjective, but, Josh Heupel's offense completely changed Billy Napier's approach in this game. I mean, Napier didn't go for it on fourth down once the previous week against South Florida. He did it a few times, like three times against Kentucky and I think twice against Utah, and he went for it six times. He punted. I mean, there was one punt. I believe there was one punt in the game. Yeah, he went five for six. I mean, obviously not great for Tennessee. (laughs) Got to improve that. (laughs) But how many teams are really going to do maybe more now, you know, that they that maybe that's a strategy, but he completely changed his approach because of Josh Heupel's offense like he he didn't play necessarily Florida's game. He tried to play what Tennessee forced Florida to do, which is what Tennessee wants to do. Uh, Even the other team's offense, you know, they want to impact the way their offense makes the other team play offense. To me, when you make an SEC team, even with a new coach, you make them completely change the way that they operate and the way that they defend things and the way that their offense runs just because of the way your offense plays. I mean, that 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 to me says, yeah, he's one of the top offensive minds in the country, maybe the best, because he's having a huge impact mentally on these guys during the week. I mean, their week of preparation, instead of focusing on you know fundamentals and the little things that can lose you a game, uh, which coaches love, they're having to focus on changing the way that they, they approach the game. I mean, that's that's huge. And, and to Billy Napier's credit, it almost won him the game. I mean, he, he kept the ball away from Tennessee as much as he could. His aggressiveness, it bit him on the two-point conversions, which I know there's a lot of debate about if that was the right call or not. Uh, and, and he's standing by w- uh, what he did there. But him going for it in those situations, deep in his own territory early in the game, not only did it set a tone like, okay, we're we're going, you know, this is punch for punch here, and this is gonna be a battle for 60 minutes. You know, Florida's not just gonna lay down and uh and give this one to you. Like, we came here to win this game and we're gonna do what we think we have to do to win the game. Uh just just the way the game went in that in that manner was really fun to watch. And the way that Tennessee, Florida should be. I mean, that's the way these games should be play out they should be fun to watch they're intense there's a lot of anxiety that comes along with them but it really was a fun game to watch
0: it had the exact elements of everything that you probably would have thought it would have had before the game Tennessee was the better team from start to finish basically you get up by 17 and then it still had the classic Florida shenanigans at the end there it's yeah Tennessee's a better team you're you're kind of whipping them there at the end you finally Florida blinked and and you get up by 17 but then throw those stats out the window it doesn't matter Florida's coming back they're recovering onside kicks and you you already said they're one of the most beautiful onside kicks I've probably ever seen that recovery was unbelievable with the one hand freaking crap that stressed me out to no end um and it it was both things. You were the better team and this had the classic like supernatural Florida shenanigans all in one package. But and yet the main difference was Tennessee came out on top in this one. It wasn't the fourth and 16 in the swamp where they, you know, they convert and then they beat you. This was this was Tennessee's day he, t- to finally really beat that that mental block. I mean, I that was probably the biggest piece out of all of it was that you finally took you took that punch in the face that Florida usually delivers it looked like it wasn't gonna happen it looked like you were just gonna walk away and whip these guys and you took that punch and still won that game all credit where it's due and you uh, you said there uh, about potentially hypo being the greatest mind in college greatest uh, offensive mind in college football. Somebody wrote an article this week saying that about Heupel, and that's going to be our our final conversation on this episode, uh, where we're we're going to finish with that topic. But we just have to we have to fully cover the Florida game first. We're also going to talk about the eleven a.m. LSU start time too. But but we'll get there because there's some discussion going on about it in the comments right here about uh, you know it could would that really be the case? He's the greatest offensive mind in college football, Heupel. Eh, we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. Heupel isn't better than Ryan Day. Heupel's offense is better than Ryan Day's offense. If Ryan Day had Josh Heupel's players, he would not be as good as him. That's so the we'll thing start with there.
1: that conversation <laughs> is that Josh Heupel right now has, I think, the number five scoring offense in the nation, a third of the way into the season. That's typical of what he's done in the past. Last year, I think, what, Tennessee finished with, like, number eight, number nine in the nation. When you look at teams like Ohio State, um Georgia last year scored more than I think people realize. They were one of the top-scoring teams in the nation. Uh, and, and some of these other teams, Clemson, uh, when they're rolling and playing well, back when like Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson were there, they've got the best players in the country. Uh, what they're doing on offense isn't that unique necessarily. They're running a lot of the same plays that everybody else is running. They just have the better talent to execute those plays. I mean, there's nothing that unique about running a post route and outrunning the defender and your quarterback being good enough to hit him in stride. I mean, a lot of times that's what those guys are doing. The, what What Josh Heupel does is he schemes these guys open. I mean, you've taken guys that uh, were basically forgotten about before Josh Heupel got to Tennessee, like Cedric Tillman, uh, you know, Jalen Hyatt, to some extent, yeah, I, I believe he's a true freshman for its first year and didn't really do much last year. He bought in, Josh Heupel this year and look at him. I mean, he's leading the team in receiving. Uh, He's become a key player, and he he's he's getting those guys in positions to be successful with not the same amount of talent that these other programs have. So I don't know how you can't put. I mean, whether you want to say Heupel's the best offensive mind in the country or not, doesn't really matter because everybody's probably going to have a different answer to that if you poll fans across the nation. But you have to put him in that conversation. Like, there's no doubt in my mind yeah. that he's in that conversation of the top three or four play callers, not just play callers, but offensive mind in general uh, because of what he's accomplished in such a short time at Tennessee comp- and compare it to what Tennessee was the year before he got there when they were like, what, 100th in the nation in scoring. I mean, I, with the same players, basically.
0: Well, here, I mean, here's here's what I'll say. CollegeFootballstats.com. The number one offense in America through four weeks is your Tennessee Volunteers. It is not Ohio State. It is 559 yards a game. Now Ohio State is number two. I'll give I'll give Big Ten Jeff that. Ohio State is number two. But Tennessee's offense is number one. I have way lesser players than Ohio State has. Way lesser players than Ohio State has. Uh, but you know, do it that way you will. We'll we'll come back to that. Because I do, I want to talk about that article and some of the stuff there. But to get into the actual, like, what happened in that game. Because uh, we've we've sort of covered, against sort of that thousand-foot view, what it means for Tennessee as a whole. But the actual game and going forward to the LSU game now, thankfully you have a bye week. It could not come uh, at a better time, in my personal opinion. Uh, this game, you, your offense was unbelievable, but specifically Hinden Hooker, he's playing some of the best football we've seen from a quarterback at the university of Tennessee ever. I I mean, I think that game he had numbers that were comparable to Peyton Manning games. People brought that up. He actually had, it was the most passing yards against Florida since Peyton Manning. Like look at that. So, and then it was, it was the first quarterback since Josh Dobbs to have 300 yards passing, hundred yards rushing in a game. Just all of this stuff like he he's immediately launched into that greatest quarterbacks to ever play at this university conversation. Right now, he's directly in the middle of that best quarterbacks in America conversation. People are already <laughs> Robert Griffin uh, is uh, is bringing up. Uh, he's my Heisman front runner and all of this stuff. The hype just went from zero to a thousand with this game because it was just such it was the biggest game on on Saturday. And so. There, there is that, I think that's kind of been talked into the ground and me and Crompton on the post game show went, went really deep on, on uh hooker because Crom's a former quarterback. And I, you know, I got his full take on that, but outside of that, like this happened without Cedric Tillman on the field and then Jabari small supposedly banged up, had a, had a bum shoulder. Rehabs throughout the week, comes in, rushes for 90 yards, has a great performance, an impactful performance. Then you have, uh, I think, the the defensive line. (laughs) I mentioned the secondary. The secondary is probably not going to get too many accolades coming out of this game, but the defensive line, Amari Thomas has an excellent game. He makes arguably the play of the game and forces a fumble uh, in the most crucial point in this game where it was looking like it was going to be purely a shootout. He finally uh, makes Florida blink, punches the ball out. Uh, Jeremy Banks recovers. And uh, then you get to the secondary. (laughs) This has to be talked about, too, in this game. They just got burned like a thin piece of toast. Like, that was just ugly. But I will say of that, it was clear that Tim Banks came into this game, defensive coordinator for Tennessee, where his game plan was the exact definition of sellout to stop the run. It was very clear. He was very worried that Anthony Richardson was going to run all over them. And he did not. I mean, he had 65 yards, I think. And I think I, I even mentioned on our, our show last week, I said, if you can hold him to 75 yards, you stand a really good chance in this game. Now I didn't think he would flip around and throw for 500 yards on us. Um, because he hadn't really shown the ability to honestly put a pass anywhere close where it's supposed to go in the last few weeks. But Richardson, to absolutely his credit, somehow found the ability to put the ball where it's supposed to go on a lot of throws. He was still pretty off. I think overall he threw for 56% or something like that yeah, he had in this game. 20 incompletions. Yeah, it, it was still a little rough. He was way overshooting guys on some throws and things like that. But to his credit, and, you know, Tennessee was playing soft zone. They they had subpar athletes out there essentially having to play soft zone because they knew they could not handle uh, man coverage. And so you kind of combine all that together. They were They were genuinely effective stopping the run, and you have to acknowledge that. Omari Thomas makes a giant play. You have to acknowledge that. The defensive line didn't get penetration like you'd love to see, but it was good enough. And then the giant amount of passing yards that you allowed didn't let Florida win the game. So you take all of that in and you go, yeah, the defense got roasted. You won the game. Still take it in, improve. I do think to a certain extent, this is a personnel problem and you just, you got to Christian Conyer needs to show up. Like hurry up guys. We need some of these recruits to get into the building, some and some transfers. But, uh, outside of that, it was, uh, the the game went how it should have gone for Tennessee you played your game I Tennessee didn't necessarily dominate but they played their game they they didn't dominate they dictated the game that's how I would put it they didn't they didn't win by 30 but they dictated the flow of that game completely which was that's that's how Josh Epel wins
1: you know to to talk about the defense real quick before I move on to the rest of the game it, it's kind of funny you know Tennessee's defense obviously Gave up a lot of yardage. Uh, part of that was just the way the game was played. And you said some personnel things. Secondary uh, has really got to improve. But Tennessee's two biggest games of the two two biggest wins of the year: Pittsburgh and Florida. The defense, both both games, the defense made the play that sealed the win uh, for Tennessee yeah. uh, against Pittsburgh. You've got the the Trayvon Flowers sack and then the incompletion at the end, and then against Florida. It it was the it was the defensive pressure the defensive pressure from the defensive line that forced the bad throw from Anthony Richardson. He didn't have enough time to really get the ball downfield, and if he had had more time, there was a Florida receiver kind of open near the goal line. and And I shudder to think what what happens if uh, if Tennessee's d- defensive ends don't get to Richardson, uh, but they did get to him. They forced the bad throw, so. You can criticize the defense a lot. Obviously, I think Tim Banks is doing the best with what he has. I think his the steams were seen from him. Uh, part of that's to compensate for not as much talent, some of that soft, soft coverage that you're talking about. But he still dialed up a good play call there when it mattered. I mean, you, yeah, you, you could have easily not brought pressure there, but it was the right decision, and, and it's, it's what sealed the win. Um, But as far as the actual game itself, one thing that stood out to me was just how many different players for Tennessee made huge plays that really changed the momentum of the game. Obviously, Hendon Hooker made the most plays. The 44-yard run when he was about to get sacked, and it would have been second and 16 instead of first and 10 in the red zone. But it wasn't just Hooker. I mean, you've got the Ramel Keaton catch, one of the best catches I've ever seen. Uh, in my life. And that came on a 99 yard drive just before halftime where Tennessee absolutely had to score. And the fact that that was a must score drive and then they come through like that just showed showed me a lot about this team, the resolve of this team and just the mental state of this team. It's in a really good place. But then you've got the uh, the third and ten throw to Princeton Fant that kept the one drive alive where Hooker is facing pressure again rolls out and Princeton fan. I mean, the window to hit him was tiny and fan had a fumble earlier in the game and then comes up huge there to make that play. You had some big runs by Jabari small uh, brew McCoy had a big catch down the sideline where he got open. There was just so many guys that contributed to this win where it wasn't, you know, we kind of talked about it earlier. It wasn't just like when Josh Dobbs would take over a game and he's the reason Tennessee won. like this was, truly a team effort and that to me was the the most exciting part of the game like it's it's really fun seeing I mean you you look back at the game and you say you know if that play right there's not made you know Tennessee's in trouble but they made those plays like they didn't leave those plays out there and that was the difference in the game
0: I thought every instance where Florida fought back Tennessee had an answer at every single turn and that's where you just look and you say Tennessee is the better team here And it was so clear throughout that entire game. Yeah. You got down 14, 10. They, they come right back where Mel Keaton makes that play. A depth guy makes that play so huge. I mean, he's the guy filling in for Tillman. Yeah. He he was the Tillman replacement. Like, it's just crazy. And then, uh, you, you go down and, and complete top it off with a brew McCoy. Awesome. Touchdown catch. Awesome play from hooker where he just threads that needle and sets it right in there for him. Uh, everything about that and that was probably that entire drive that was probably the game right there because mm-hmm. Tennessee gets the ball back immediately scores another touchdown after the half it's it's what took Tennessee they they got that 10 point lead and it was enough cushion for them to outlast any any serious push from Florida um and i i did want to yeah so uh, Danny, Danny put that up there about Kamal having- Yeah so, yeah, Dan- Danny says, I was mad that Kamal hadn't got that interception. He cost us so much during that game. Oh, that dude isn't good, but he's been your he's been your best defensive back up to this you point. Know,
1: something that we haven't really talked about be- because Tennessee won the game, I feel like, is that first Anthony, I, I think it was the first, it might have been the second one, I can't remember that, that 40-some-yard touchdown pass that Anthony Richardson threw or close to that yardage where, one, it was bad coverage by Haddon he he kind of left the guy open and left that window. And then the tackling on that play was some of the worst tackling oh. I've ever seen by a college football team. You had three, I, I believe it was three guys just trying to rip the ball out. And, and and I get it, you're trying to force turnovers. But Ventrell Miller for Florida showed how you do that. I mean, you're wrapping a guy up and you're, you know, you're like Charles Tillman when he when he was in the NFL and you're trying to punch that ball out. And if you don't hit it, you don't hit it. You got to tackle the guy. I mean, that's got to be your first priority before the turnover, but that, I mean, that right there, if Tennessee loses that game, that right there is a highlight that's being shown for a long time. And it's, it was just really poor execution. And Kamal hadn't, it definitely was not his best game. There were several moments where he did get burnt, but there's been other times where he looked pretty decent too. You know, it it hasn't been all bad for him. So you got to hope that as the year progresses, that he, takes a step forward because you really don't have anybody else to step up. I mean, they were missing Warren Burrell in that game, and that's somebody else that we've been giving a hard time. So, I mean, you see what happens when he's not there. Exactly. I mean, yeah, we've been giving him a hard time, but you you missed him on saturday john John hill
0: says the sad thing to say is we missed Warren burrell i completely agree i was like god that would have been nice like brandon turnage goes in there and you go ah he made some nice plays last year he's finally getting in the game and immediately he gets burned up in a play gives up a giant pass
1: david also brings Uh, up here that uh you know dylan sampson that's another player that did not play against florida that mm -hmm. i thought would be a huge weapon he's the fastest running back on the team he's faster than Jalen wright who's pretty fast himself and we kind of saw against Akron you know they've kind of been working him in how electric and dynamic he can be and I felt like if he was healthy he was going to be a big part of the offensive plan because the coaches have really indicated that they trust him they are willing to play him in big moments and I think they would have played him in this game so that's a guy if you get him back for the LSU game and down the stretch that can really bring another element to this offense. We talked about it last week. We saw the speed option play that they ran with Dylan Sampson and maybe see some more of that. And you just might see some of these runs that, that like that Jabari small run where he went for 30 some yards, however long 39 yards. Uh, maybe with Dylan Sampson, that turns into a touchdown and no, nothing, not taking anything away from Jabari small. You said he had an injury. He's banged up and he went out there and averaged almost five yards of carry. He was a big reason why Tennessee won the game, but Samson's another guy that you don't have him and even though he's a true freshman I do think Tennessee missed him on
0: Saturday against Florida they did I genuinely but that's the state of things for that for that defensive backfield it just is uh a little a little rough uh but I I think that the thing that probably makes me the most happy about the actual back and forth of that game with Florida is that you got Florida's best game I mean I think you got Probably the the biggest roundhouse punch you could get from them this year. They they lack depth. They lack talent at some important positions, and they really brought it to you, and you outlasted all of it. I mean, they the, down to a freakish point where they were able to recover an onside kick, which <laughs> is extremely rare. I mean, they yeah. did everything, everything in the kitchen sink, and 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 like let's bring up like we we've already mentioned that they just went balls to the wall with going on fourth downs the fourth down at their own 30 and this nut napier i I don't know if this was even the call it might have just been a the play that richardson saw takes the top off of the defense and (laughs) Throws the the longest ball he threw in that entire game. I mean, I don't think he really had another throw like that, even an attempt like that in the rest of the game. I'd have to rewatch it all to confirm that, but he didn't throw a bunch of deep bombs. And this guy from their own thirty on a four down was a long ball. And I was like, if this, like, t- I I think was Tennessee up ten or or seventeen at that point. I think they were up seventeen. They would have given Tennessee the ball back up 17 at the 30-yard line in the red zone. If that ball goes two feet beyond that receiver and he doesn't catch it, people are probably like calling for this dude's head after this game. Because I think Tennessee would have you don't get that kind of comeback if if Tennessee gets the ball back right there. And they would have immediately scored. I mean, that's just how Tennessee yeah. was playing. Florida had no answer for Hendon Hooker. And like that that play. Was genuinely, I think Crompton said it on our show. It was like one of those where if you're a Florida fan, you went, "What are we doing? What are we do?" Okay, all right. Well, he made the play. You know, you're like, "Oh, well, all right." You know, it's it completely freaks you out until it actually works. And I don't think it, it, it took nutty plays like that, and you still beat them. I'm so, I'm so glad that it wasn't just like, "Oh, well, Florida totally screwed the pooch." Florida had a a 15 point lead and they blew it, or something like that. You brought it to them, and you beat them, and that's that's nice. And it's one of the, the things that we've already listed that, that make this different, make it feel different.
1: Yeah, I think Florida was a really dangerous team on Saturday because I think Napier was playing like he had nothing to lose. You're a 10-and-a-half-point underdog. All the hype is on Tennessee. I mean, we talked about that, how the, nobody was really even giving Florida a chance. Thank goodness Kirk Erbstrom was uh picked Florida because I feel like usually that's bad karma when you don't uh yes. bad vibes and <laughs> when everybody hurts. goes for the same team. <laughs> but but uh I think Napier felt like that was the only way he beat Tennessee was being really bold uh and like you said going for it on fourth down going for that deep shot on fourth down. That's a really gutsy thing to do but I th- I don't think if Florida's favored in that game, if that game's in the swamp, if this is like year two of the Napier era, if, if just the vibe around the game's a lot different, I don't think he coaches the game the same way. I know he d- did some of that stuff at Louisiana, but not to the same extent. I really feel like he was playing like, okay, everybody expects us to lose this game. So if we do lose it, it's not a big deal. I'm in year one. We're getting better. You know, we're, we're building this program, trying to do it the right way. So I felt like that was the, in his mind the only way that he was going to beat tennessee and he, he was right i mean like we said it it almost worked i mean florida executed a lot of those risky decisions they you know they only stopped them one time on on fourth down and they you know it it worked out for them the other thing about this florida team they they don't have that edge rusher that you feel like they usually have that can just live in the mm-hmm. backfield and they don't really have that shutdown cornerback that they have a lot of times. I felt like those two things uh, specifically is what made this Florida team different. And they didn't have a guy that was just getting the ball in space and just carving up uh, Tennessee's defense. Obviously they, they had a lot of yards out there, but Tennessee was able to kind of like bend, but don't break, you know, like they, they, they made some some plays but they were able to stop them on the fourth down in the red zone they were able to hold them to the field goal attempt uh one that was missed i believe and one that was made so they, they, you know it it was just kind of that philosophy on both sides florida tennessee was gonna give a little try not to give in all the way and then florida was gonna be super aggressive so i don't think this is the way future florida tennessee games will be played uh, just because of the Unique nature of this game.
0: I agree, and and credit to Napier. I I can't I can't really tell how good of a coach. Yeah, I can't either. He is yet because that I, that was such a unique situation where he was just throwing everything. I I would say that was kind of a must go game for uh Napier. I don't know if you ever uh if you ever have leftovers in your fridge and you have a must go meal, you go everything in the in the fridge must go. And then you just throw everything in there. You're just lima beans and chicken and whatever is in, you know, just whatever it is. It's just whatever you got in the fridge. Like he just took, all right, we got, I put, throw ice cream on it. I don't care. Just throw it. It must go. We got to get this out of here. Like he was just anything and everything. And it still didn't work.
1: I mean, I really, the only two, like the, the two point conversion stuff. I know there's a lot of debate about that. I still disagree with, his reasoning—I don't know if you heard his reasoning today. He mentioned the point spread and being a two-score underdog, and that you're 63% less likely to win in that situation. It, very, it felt very Butch Jones-like. That's, okay? a, that's a Butch's not, chart move, right there. I, I'm not—that's what it felt like to me because he's letting this, the the numbers dictate what he does, which I I do believe there's a place for analytics in sports, even in football to some extent. But I like what Josh Heupel said last week too. He takes that stuff into account. He's talking to his staff. They're going with the feel of the game and what they think the situation calls for in that moment. And to me, like that's that's what you that's what a coach does. I mean, that's what you're a game day coach. You're not looking at the paper, letting the paper make the decisions. You're making the decision with your gut. Sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. I felt like that was one misstep. And then the what was it, the third down play where he had none of his offensive linemen move and tried to run the play and Tennessee's Defenders just go straight through the gaps and they're on Richardson in no time while literally the Florida offensive line is just looking behind them, (laughs) you know, wondering like, I hope this works out. We're just going to chill here for a little bit. Like that was such a I hate to do this, but we see we saw Butch Jones do some similar stuff. Yes. During this time. Absolutely. Like exact play. It's like that. What do you you're not in the Sun Belt? Like this is an SEC game. Line up and get the yardage. I mean, run the play best on best, and try to beat Tennessee. I mean, that's, that's what you do in the SEC. If you're running this weird trick play in that situation that really didn't fool a single person uh, at all, I I felt like that was a bad – maybe he learns from that. You know, he's in his first year. I would, I would think he would learn from it. If he doesn't, then Florida's got some real issues because every coach is going to make mistakes, and you can't be so hard-headed that you're not willing to rethink – the way you approach things so if
0: he's if he's really like butch he won't change a thing <laughs> that'll That's be the real mark he
1: pretty much <laughs> he stood pretty firm on the two-point conversion thing today when he talked and it's like you kick the extra points both times and and that final drive is completely different you're you're playing for a yeah. field goal you're just trying to get in the field goal range and then you get in the overtime who knows what happens in overtime i know that home has the you know, but. I just don't feel like that's the case in college football because of the way overtime's played. I mean, you're each getting a possession. A lot of it dictated by who gets the first possession as far as whether you got to go for a field goal or a touchdown. Like, I just – it's not like basketball to me. Like, in basketball, it's such a – I mean, football's a momentum game as well. But when it comes to overtime, I just feel like it's a different situation. I I don't like the whole, you know, playing for overtime feeling, uh, which is what Napier claimed he was doing by – Going for two earlier. He said he was playing for the tie early, which also is kind of strange because he's managing the game in the early in the fourth quarter, expecting the tie instead of going for the win. And he really
0: cost himself a chance at the tie by doing that. I think it's. It's either one of these two things Sam Sam Hargrove says that's just going for broke. there's no analytics to it or it's what Mark Jones said is just people from Florida can't do math <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Napier's
1: is what is the scared money doesn't make money that's his uh, whole oh. like philosophy whatever that means. but
0: let's do so- somebody did tweet this of me during that game just thinking of Napier's cheesiness. He said special teams was huge the the onside kick was massive. so the uh the game changing coordinator. It changed the game. So, yeah. Oh, uh, maybe yeah. that was. Congratulations you know, to him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they didn't get a chance to block a punt because Josh Heupel did not punt. Didn't punt. And no. that was another huge thing in this game is like they're going straight into Florida territory. The only time they got really stopped, they stopped themselves. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that was, you know, not, well, not like, something you expect from Tennessee. When was the last time Tennessee went through a game and didn't punt? <laughs>
0: Would, would, I mean, it's insane. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, but it's not often. I, I can tell you that much. There's a lot about what Hype is doing right now that's completely out of the ordinary. That's for sure. But to, to just wrap it up in a bow, I, I'm, I am just happy that, that they pulled it out. I don't care how it happened. W is a, a W is a W. It shows up with that W in the win loss chart, no matter what that final score is, as long as you're in the lead when that clock hits zero. So, what was, um, uh,
1: what was your favorite moment of the game? Because I know my favorite moment, without Ooh. a doubt, besides the ending, obviously, besides the actual win itself, there were so many, I felt like there were so many memorable and signature moments in that game. The... Uh, which is part of why I liked that game so much.
0: Yeah, it was exciting from beginning to end. I mean, I, I think when Wright ran in that touchdown to go up 17 and you went like, this is about to happen. That was this is exactly really mine. about to happen, isn't it? That like, is exactly mine. The gator chomp yeah. in
1: the end zone. I uh, mean,
0: the, the throat,
1: I didn't even notice it live. The throat so slash good. definitely better than the Tyler Bray throat slash. Mm-hmm. Tyler Bray's <laughs> Tyler Bray's looked better, just the way he did it. It's very gifable. But he but, won. You know, yeah, Jalen Wright, Wright won. won. Yeah. <laughs> um I just I love that. I mean, to me, that's what SEC football is all about. Tennessee, Florida on a fall Saturday. CBS as bad as Gary Danielson is, and he was as bad as ever, I felt like during that game. He was just maddening at times. Um, but that just intensity, the loudness of the fans that you came through on television, and then just that those moments, you know, that gator chomp in the end zone, like that. I live you live for those moments, I feel like if you're a college football fan.
0: Mark says the finger sniff by Smalls. I saw didn't uh Richardson did that. Did Smalls do that?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure.
0: Maybe did did Smalls do it to mock Richardson? I don't know.
1: Maybe I, uh, I would, who was it? Gerald Mincy that flipped off a. Uh, <laughs> that might Florida have been my player?
0: favorite moment also. <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially <laughs> since
1: <laughs> he, he came from Florida. I mean, that's where he transferred from. It makes it uh, even better.
0: You, you know, it means something to him. That's for dang sure. He was yeah. Absolutely. Although although you did so, saw him after the game. I saw some video of him after the game. He's hugging dudes, and he's oh from yeah, floor I mean, players. I mean,
1: and, and, and all those guys know each other. They all get recruited together. They go on trips together. They're at seven-on-seven seven camps together and these showcases. They all come up through high school knowing each other. It, it's so much different. And I know a lot of people don't like that. I get it but it's so much different than it was in the nineties with social media and texting and the way that they keep in touch with each other. They build real relationships that last, but I can guarantee you when they were out there on the field Saturday, there was no love lost. I mean, you saw Hendon hooker getting chippy on several plays. mm -hmm. Uh, You saw other guys doing it too. And I love seeing that fire from Hendon hooker because he's such a reserved guy. And, you look at him and he always looks calm and uh, he looks poised and you, that's what you want from your quarterback, but he's got that fire in him too. When he takes off running uh, that one specific situation, they were down close to the end zone. Tennessee's trying to run their tempo and the Florida players kind of laying on him, not letting him get up. And you saw that from hooker kind of that frustration, not really frustration, just kind of that like, Hey, get off of me. Like we're trying to go score, go on with yourself. And that was, that was fun to see. So, the chippiness was still there, even if some of these guys are friends off the field
0: yeah the even just the general feeling with the fans is different from back then because I like I had some uh before the game I went over to a friend's house and we were like having just you know sort of pregame they were going to the game uh, and they were taking their like smaller child to the game and I was like, man, back in the nineties mm-hmm. you would not find. <laughs> uh, eight year old at the Florida, Tennessee game, unless you want your eight year old to see and hear some things you don't want an eight year old seeing and hearing. <laughs> it's not, it's not as profane as it was back then. I'm sure it's still not, not nice. Uh, but also there weren't very many Florida fans there.
1: I noticed um, that and- too.
0: I, I, I look back,
1: I, I had pictures on my phone still, uh, from the first Check- checker Nealon, which was in 2014 for the Florida game. And I have pictures that I'd taken, uh, at that game, you know, as it was filling in and you really, there was considerably more Florida fans at that game than there was at this game.
0: Well, either way, great win. Uh, I t- want to finish with talking about the, the recruiting piece of this, cause it was massive for that too. And, Oh, then I, I did want to mention Michael Allen to your question about when Tennessee hadn't punted in a game. He said, he thinks that it's Missouri mm, from last year. I could sense. see that. Yeah, that was that game. Tennessee scored 63 in that one, didn't they? I think, I think it was going like well. I think I city. stepped
1: in for Crompton that week, uh, in the post game shows and stuff. Yeah. I, I think that was one of the games. And I remember we were like begging for 70, like at halftime, we we're like, just go for 70, right? Just do it, just do 70 in an SEC game. I mean, it wasn't Please. far from it. I mean, and, and hypo no. you know, he's not afraid to do it, he keeps the gas, uh, pushed down in those situations, but he, uh, you know, you bring in the backups and stuff. It's not willing, uh, n- not something you want to get somebody hurt over. That is something else about the Florida game. One is they should have kept their foot on the gas a little more in that last drive. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's a situation where Tennessee's still trying to figure out. There were times where last year where we felt like they should have bled clock and they didn't. Or yeah, yeah. that's an area where I'd like to see Hypel improve, but. We did see a few times where Tennessee kind of slowed down their tempo, or they mm-hmm. got to the line, changed their plays. They didn't just rush through it. So this is this offense still works, even if it's not tempo. It's not just the yeah. tempo that makes it work. Like there's well, some I, really good things going on in that offense.
0: And I've noticed the things that they they do. They can waste time, but like Hooker will get up to the line and like audible twice. You know, just yeah, like or, do or they'll.
1: Or they'll huddle and then go to the line real fast to kind of yes. make, give that illusion of tempo.
0: Yeah, exactly. They they do things that do waste clock, even if it feels like they're still getting on the ball. And it's that quickly. stuff right
1: there that really, you know, goes into that, that conversation about Josh Hype will be in this great offensive mind. It's not just about being a play caller. It's the way that he's coached these guys. Doing things like that, getting the ball to the right referee, getting lined up. There's so many times I look up, And Brew McCoy is like the first wide receiver lined up and he's ready to go. And it's not that the other guys are being slow, but I mean, he's just where he needs to be that fast. And for the most part, you you don't see alignment issues with Tennessee's offense and as fast as they're running and as much as they're having the process uh, in the moment, because you got to look at what the defense is doing, because if you're a wide receiver where that safety is or where that linebacker is might dictate where you go on the field on that play. So you're having to read that. I mean in literally seconds the fact that Hypo has coached this group to to do that effectively that's to me part of what makes him one of the best offensive minds in the country it's not just the scheme Absolutely. it's the fact that he can teach this scheme get kids to buy in and they run it effectively and efficiently and they're just 17 games into this and they're averaging 50 points a game
0: well before before we finish off with that conversation about the best offensive mind that claim of the best offensive mind in college football let's uh wrap up the Florida conversation with talking about the recruits that were there somebody just uh mentioned Sam Hargo said David Hobbs the big defensive lineman his mom said it was an amazing experience that was an across the board thing from the recruits mm-hmm. at this game and just from anybody that was there because I watched um just different different reactions like you saw like the stand-up comedian Theo Vaughn was there for some reason uh he in with LSU guy and yeah with and he was there with the barstool guys, but I, I saw like the barstool guys. I saw like Dave Portnoy and some of those dudes where they were just like, This environment's insane, like just you know, saying how crazy cool it was. And just other national media that was there, I think it was uh, what's the guy 247 Pate Josh Pate, yeah, yeah, was saying how crazy it was. Like outside observers were just like, This is unreal. In the fact, then- Arian
1: Foster was back in knoxville kind of blew my mind i know he's there with this podcast that he does some stuff with barstool as well so it was it was a business trip for him but you still see photos of him on the sideline it's like who
0: yeah With everything
1: that happened with arian foster in the years after he left tennessee and and just his general tone towards college athletics in general yeah Yeah. i'm surprised he was there but maybe that's a sign that he's uh he's on board with the way josh heupel's doing things or he probably just
0: doesn't care to be honest knowing
1: him but either way it was it was surprising to see him there
0: Yeah, and just so many former players in general were there, which I think is a great thing for recruiting too. You can get those guys to kind of talk to recruits, be like Jabari
1: and Jabari Davis on the field with a cigar after the game is a pretty pretty good image.
0: (laughs) Cigar, yell at F Florida. (laughs) Yes, Uh, great stuff. Uh, But um, the the recruits themselves, they were there. Mentioned David Hobbs said he had a great time. Uh, I I did just want to play this clip. Of, this player is already committed to Tennessee's offensive lineman, Sham Umarov, who's, I think he's a four, pretty highly rated four star um, that Heupel has coming in next year. He was at the game and he just tweeted a video of the final play of the game. Hadn't gets that interception. And then this was like his reaction to just what was around him. And I thought it was funny. It's just the audio, but just his, his reaction to everything. Fireworks are going off. And this was, this was what it sounded like. just love that it is these oh my god dude's freaking out these 18 year olds get here they get shown a great time prior to the game i mean tennessee's facility is is world class and you know they they hook them up with cool stuff cool experiences everything that they do they go to nice restaurants or whatever like it's whole thing and then you go to that game and you give them that viewing experience with and Checkered, 102,000 people, unbelievable sight. And I mean, the kid's reaction is just, oh my God. Like, I think that reaction just speaks volumes. Like this, it, it, how does it not just blow you away and go like, I I want to play here? Because you also saw, this was uh, Vison Lang, who's an interior offensive lineman uh, that Tennessee is trying to recruit, a three-star player. He said, uh, when I was standing on the field, I started looking around. I had I started having goosebumps. I started shaking a little bit. When the players came out, they started bringing more energy, and I was like, "Oh my god! I feel like I want to put pads on and play against Florida." They had me jumping, and I was and I felt like I had ten Red Bulls. It's uh, second to none, in my personal opinion. Just that stadium experience. There's three schools in college football, maybe that have a, a comparable experience to this, like to be able to make that kind of impact is so massive. And then of course you walk away with the wind that just takes it that much further. And what can you even say? Hopefully this does, I think it seemed like the tenor of this article about vice and Lang, it seems like he kind of got that kid in the boat. I, I don't know. He hasn't committed or anything yet, but just the way that he talked about it, it was just like, you made a deep impact in his mind. I think, um, and well, I
1: mean, that's the stuff that you just—you cannot replicate that. You can't fake it. You can't—you know—you can take these recruits and you can do your photo shoots and you can take them on the river. You can do all this stuff and show them around Knoxville and and, and put on as great of a visit as as you possibly can. But there's no program in the country can that's organic. Like that's genuine, like that right there is just the Tennessee fan base. You can't predict it. You can't recreate it. You can't set it up. So for that to happen, it's obviously huge for recruiting. And you wonder, you talked about, there's not many places that have have that atmosphere. And there's a couple of reasons for that one. You've got these huge crowds at Alabama, Georgia, uh, some of these great programs where winning has become such the expectation that people aren't surprised when they win. The fans aren't surprised when they win. They're happy. Uh, They're cheering. I'm not saying that it's, you know, the old Sam Cassell wine and cheese crowd that uh, you sometimes get at college athletics with with some uh, some of the folks that go to the games, but they're just used to it. Tennessee was begging for a reason to erupt after that Florida game, they're begging for a reason to just let all that emotion out. And you, you don't get that unless the program's kind of been down a little bit, you you mm-hmm. can't get that type of reaction from a fan base uh, unless that's present. So you got this passionate fan base, this exciting offense, checker Nealon, the upgrades to Nealon, uh, your party deck that they're taking the, taking the recruits and showing them around. You know, all these updates that Danny White has helped bring to the stadium and, and and to the to the program in general, all that stuff combined. It's like the perfect storm for that weekend with as many recruits as they had in town. I just can't imagine that that game really going any better for Tennessee. and in fact, I, I know that it was close at the end and you had that last second pass where everybody's holding their breath, hoping that Tennessee holds on. But I think that moment created such an even bigger explosion because the the mm-hmm. the outcome was still in doubt until the very last play. So when that ball's intercepted and hand goes down on the knee to end the game, just all that just comes out. You know, it wasn't like okay, we're up by seventeen, we know we're going to win this game. It's kind of there's a great reaction, but it's subdued because it was expected. No, this was just raw emotion. Uh, so it was, I mean, it just couldn't have went any better for Tennessee.
0: Yeah, that that was as good of a recruit experience as you could possibly give if you're at Tennessee. I I don't know how it could go better. You won one of your biggest games of the year in front of an unbelievable exploding crowd. Uh, And I'm sure that like these recruits, there's, there's plenty of people who follow so closely that they would like know who these guys are to point at them. I actually had a friend. Telling me they went to a tailgate and Nico was there. And they were like, oh, yeah, people were taking pictures with Nico. That dude is everywhere. Everywhere. Seriously. It <laughs> is insane.
1: I cannot imagine what it's going to be like when he's actually in Knoxville and playing at Tennessee. I mean, he is already one of the most recognizable football players in town. And he hasn't even played a down for Tennessee yet. It's it's incredible. And he's so gracious with his Time, I mean, you see photos of him with little kids all the time, photos of adults. I mean, he will take a photo with anybody. Uh, he just seems like a genuinely nice person that is genuinely just loving it. Like, he's happy to be embraced by Tennessee. He loves everything Tennessee's doing. He's bought in completely. You can talk about the uh, NIL deal and all that stuff all you want, but look, somebody can give you money and you make the, your decision based on that, but that doesn't mean you're genuinely happy with your decision. You're doing it for a different motive. I mean, he does not look like a guy that's there just because of the $8 million. Like, it doesn't yeah. seem that way to me at all. Like, and, it seems like he genuinely loves it.
0: And Tennessee fans need to know that they're they're part of what is going to make that so special mm-hmm. for him. He is that personable and he's that that gracious with his his time and stuff like that but why would he even want to come here if there was nobody making that experience sh- special he can be that personable but if nobody's coming I want to take a picture with him what does that even <laughs> mean And look we don't we the- don't
1: know we don't know the details of any NIL deals the exact details for sure right um you don't know what other schools came at him with you don't mm-hmm. know what he possibly turned down to go to Tennessee maybe it was more maybe it was in the neighborhood yeah, you know, we don't know that. So I know a lot of detractors of Tennessee will throw that out there, like, oh, he's just there because of the money. And we're like, you know what? Bryce Young is getting paid at Alabama. Okay, C.J. Stroud is getting paid at Ohio State. All of these guys are getting paid that you're not going to be a five-star quarterback and go somewhere for free. But even Arch Manning is getting a nice little something down in Texas. I mean, that's just the way – this world works, and it's worked that way for a long, long
0: time. What is that That video clip of uh, Stephen, Stephen F. Smith where he goes, We don't care. Mm-hmm. That's my reaction to that. We don't care. I don't that's, care why he's here. I'm just glad he's here. <laughs> that's the business <laughs> that's end of it. That. That's like worrying about
1: uh, Josh Heupel's contract incentives or even his contract in general. I mean, I know we get into the weeds on a lot of this stuff, Who cares that he just got a $1 million raise? If he tanks and does terrible the rest of the year, has a bad year three, Tennessee will get rid of him and go to somebody else. It won't matter what's on his contract. Texas A&M's up. If Jimbo Fisher continues down the path he's on and gives them eight, nine win years, instead of playoff appearances, they will fire him. They will come up with the 90 million and they will find somebody else. Like that stuff just doesn't matter. It's not your money. Uh, yeah, maybe you donate whatever. But it's not it's not coming out of your wallet, you know, as far as your day to day operating expenses and this and that. Like don't worry about it. It it is what it is. All you should care about is the wins. Exactly.
0: I don't care. Just glad he's here. <laughs> That's yeah. all I know. <laughs> it's it's like with this win. Oh well it wasn't. They almost gave it away there to the end and the... I don't care. There's a win. You beat Florida. I don't care. <laughs> I, I just I'm happy. I'm happy to be here. That's Um, Oh, and I did want to finish uh, a couple of people there. They were mentioning Carnell Tate in the comments here. Um, I I think to go off the point of just how great that atmosphere was, I think you're going to get Carnell Tate, you got to get him to come back. You got to get him to visit for one of these games. And it needs to be like a good one. Um, And I I think if you... Like if you beat LSU, you'll probably sell out every home game for the rest of the year or close to it. So you'll have good environments for the rest of the season. You got to get them to come back, uh, which I I have absolutely no idea what the status of that is, if they're even trying to do that. But just to uh, address that one, because it's a name that people keep bringing up. Oh, it'd be so great to get Carnell Tate. I mean, you're showing everything on the field that you need to show to that kid. He will come here, get immediate playing time, and he will put up giant numbers in... Josh Heupel's offense, Uh, but man, you gotta get you just you have to show him that experience and get him like Bison Lang said there. You got to get him on the sideline looking up, getting goosebumps, and then I think you could probably have a better chance of doing that. But uh, that uh, is it. There, but we we finish with last conversation. Zach, any parting thoughts on the Florida game? We it's been an hour and ten on just that. (laughs) No, I mean I could probably talk about it
1: for several hours I feel like I've done nothing but talk about it even when I wasn't working since Saturday I've I've, thought about it I mean I watched parts of it this morning just kind of reliving a few of those moments but just a great great win for the for that program and just the way that they're trying to build things and it gives fans something that they haven't got you know since Philip Fulmer was in town where you you're not in year two like okay programs making incremental steps forward like it did under Butch, like it did under Pruitt. uh, Didn't really take any steps forward under Dooley necessarily, but this time you're seeing the actual really like real progress really fast. It's not year three. It's not year four. It's not a fluke. Josh Heupel's doing it ahead of schedule compared to these other coaches. So it's the first time where it's like you can look at this and say, okay, he's doing things a lot different than the other Three or four guys that came before him. Maybe this is going to be different, because I think every Tennessee fan, to some extent, whether they're verbalizing it or not, in the back of their mind is still kind of waiting on, okay, when does this all go south? And I know that's kind of a fatalist view, but after everything that's happened the last fifteen years, it's hard to avoid. See, yeah, I don't see how you can't have that. That, that you know, we joke about P- PTSD. And that's a very serious thing, but th- it is a form of that it, to some extent on a much smaller scale, where you've had all these like terrible endings to games and seasons and coaches and teams happen that you're just like, okay, when's it going to happen? When does that Alabama, Texas A&M, South Carolina, Vanderbilt stretch like happened in 2016? When did, when does that happen? You know, so uh, hopefully it doesn't. I don't I don't necessarily hopefully think never. it's going to. You know, there's no. I have not seen any signs that's going to happen. I have not seen any major red flags uh, from Josh Heupel, really red flags at all. I mean, I've seen wow. a few things I, I think he could do a little better as far as, you know, running clock out and, and padding leads, things like that. But there's not been anything egregious that he's done. That just makes me question
0: uh, whether he's the right guy or not. And I, I think one of the main things that makes me hopeful for that future, that maybe he can stave off that fatal Tennessee moment um, is that, it seems like he's actually willing to evolve to like become, yeah, change, change things to become better. And, and so I, that's, that is one of the hallmarks of a great leader. It's what we've always brought it up when we have that conversation. It's what Nick Saban does. He's always willing to evolve while well, his offense is becoming stale. Well, he hires Lane Kiffin and he just gets better than you at the thing that you're doing. Like, I, I hope Hypel continues, just keep evolving, keep getting better. And and maybe we can stave that off and maybe it's I, I think it is no coincidence from my personal opinion at this moment, it's no coincidence that he's been this good so quickly. So keep it going. Um, that's the only good that's the only sign you know sports is
1: all about symmetry and you look into the past to kind of predict the future, which isn't a very scientific method, obviously. <laughs> but these quick starts from coaches, I mean that's the one thing that you can point to as tangible to say, okay, that is a sign that this is going to go the right direction. Uh, because previously, as Tennessee fans, you look at Jeremy Pruitt losing to Georgia State, and you're like, oh, okay, well, Nick Saban lost to Louisiana Monroe uh, in his first season, so maybe this is kind of going to go like that. Or, or okay, this guy was 5-7 and seven in his first season, so it is possible that maybe Butch Jones can turn this around. Uh, you're not having to do that with Josh Heupel. You're just getting the results, and there's no substitute for that.
0: Yeah, thankfully, no, not having to justify nonsense, um, and uh, I guess before this final conversation, we are event- <laughs> we are going to get to it. Uh, Tennessee LSU is the 11 a.m. local time, noon Eastern time game. I 3:30 would have been ideal to me afternoon going in tonight i just love that and there's so much pageantry to it but they're doing the double header on cbs tennessee just played on cbs so they're not going to put them on there two weeks in a row and then the night game on espn i think was already kind of said. and so you are you're the beginning of the day i think this plays in tennessee's favor you look back like a game that i think of where you get that noon weirdness was the auburn game uh-huh. with jeremy pruitt pruitt as big of an idiot as he was the one game that i thought like wow, I can't believe that really happened was at Auburn. He goes and beats Gus Malzahn still so strange, but it did happen. Um, and I, I think that this kind of plays into your hands. You're not going to be facing that, you know, had all day to get drunk death Valley crowd and it's not going to be as wild as it could be. Good Lord. They're probably all going to be hung over still. I think there's gonna be a ton of Tennessee fans there. Uh, I, I personally know a whole set of people that are going, um, already because it's just you know it's kind of one of those places where you want to make a trip to baton rouge is fun it's a cool place close to new orleans down there and uh so i think it plays in tennessee's hands obviously next week we're gonna get deeper into the lsu game but that just got announced right before we did this show so um i and and, and ben ben hall right here in the comments he makes a good point tennessee always practices in the morning hypo famously like a he's a morning person he he doesn't he he like greets the players as uh-huh. they come in the door or something. Like Seven a.m. a.m. or something. Yeah, it's like his whole shtick. And so, yeah, maybe it plays right into Tennessee's hands. They're they're gonna be bright and chippy there, and then LSU's gonna walk in just bleary eye. They just got off a bender, and Tennessee, you know, maybe it'll it'll be a cakewalk for Tennessee. Probably. Uh, probably. I don't know about
1: that. I mean, <laughs> Jaden Daniels presents some problems. The dudes Oh
0: yeah, that's a
1: seventy three percent completion uh, percentage so far this season. The two games where he needed to run, Florida State was a loss, uh, but he ran for 114 yards, mm. 93 yards against Mississippi State. He is going to be a problem. Uh, he's not going to be as hard to tackle as Anthony Richardson, but he might be more elusive. I haven't really watched him play a lot. Obviously, he came from Arizona State, uh, so that's that's going to be tough. Keishawn Bude, if he if he plays, uh, I know he's he missed this past week as the birth of his child. He's battled some injuries over the years, had a big ankle thing last year. When he's healthy, he might be the best wide receiver in the country. So I know this LSU team's down, but it's at LSU. It's not one that you can just kind of take for granted at all. I think it's going to be a really tough game. It'll be interesting to see how it it plays out. Definitely interested to watch them play Auburn this week at Auburn. I think that's another thing that kind of plays to Tennessee's advantage is they play a tough conference game uh, on the road, are they banged up after that game? Where Tennessee's a little fresher, and then coming off the bye, Josh Heupel is six and one coming off a bye in his career as a head coach. Uh, the one loss was a fifty to forty nine loss to Memphis uh, back in twenty twenty, I believe. UCF missed a field goal at the end that would have won that game, so he's not far from being seven and zero, and that includes the Kentucky game last year where Tennessee came and uh, uh, beat Kentucky. So I think there's a few things there that do work in Tennessee's favor as far as the game time, the way Hypo prepares his team coming off of an off week and just the game that LSU will come out of. Because I think that Auburn team, while they're almost lost to Missouri, they're not a great team. I think LSU will beat them at Auburn. But they do play hard. Brian Harson is – I don't think he wants to be at Auburn much longer, but he doesn't want to ruin his name to prevent himself from getting a, another job after Auburn. So he's, he's going to badly want to win in that game. That's one that Auburn really, really needs. So
0: it could be a tough game. I don't know how it's going to go. That game does feel like one where LSU just like stomps a mud hole into Auburn's chest. And then Brian Harson gets fired. Maybe I think that's what it would take. I don't think losing to LSU is probably going to get him fired because it's, I think that's the likely outcome, (laughs) But, but it might, I, I don't know. Um, but with, with that said, let's finish with this. We're already at an hour 20, but what's 10 more minutes if, uh, you know, you've already gone that long. So Mike Bianchi, who is a blowhard journalist in the Orlando area, uh, and he's written some complete nonsense in the past. He's, he's a guy that he was like, we need to bring central Florida into the sec. He's that's like been his shtick before you know so for the most part he's kind of ridiculous but he wrote this article taking a big jab at UCF fans after Tennessee beat Florida and he said hey UCF fans how do you like Josh Heupel now because a lot of UCF fans were sort of like well he only won eight games in his last year with us we're glad to see him go and then Malzahn hasn't done so hot so far um but then my Mike Bianchi says the Vols never punted in today's victory over the Gators and yes I believe Heupel is the greatest offensive mind in college football today in my column. And it's basically all just a giant shot at UCF fans to be like, look at you dummies. You you didn't want this guy. I don't care about that part of it. But Heupel as the greatest offensive mind in college football, I completely agree. I think he is exactly right. And I it's going to sound completely biased because we're obviously a very pro Tennessee <laughs> podcast here, both Tennessee fans, but I, I think there's great evidence to this. I mean, first of all, Tennessee's the number one offense in America right now. So start there. <laughs> you have the, the most prolific offense in America at the moment. So that sort of speaks for itself. But beyond that, he's doing so much with a set of players that is pretty ragtag. Um, a couple of, of pretty highly rated recruits, but like a Cedric Tillman, who was a three-star and did nothing with Pruitt, suddenly he's a superstar. You know, you have guys like that, Hinn and Hooker, who, again, three th- former three-star recruit, I think, from Virginia Tech, did diddly squat at Virginia Tech, even though he played, just was not even good there, to the point where when he showed up here, people were thinking he wouldn't do much. And Heipel puts it all together out there. And I mean, you just watch that against Florida. Florida's defense is not bad. They're they're not they're not great. They're certainly not great. But you have you have pieces out there. Brenton Cox, the, that linebacker, Ventrell Miller, good pieces. They had zero answer for what Hypal was doing, specifically with Hinden Hooker. I mean, it it was like it was a hot knife through butter. It didn't matter what Florida did. They were getting sliced up, and he spreads you out so far. And it's all scheme. It's all scheme. When you really watch it, he spreads you out so far, and Hooker runs that offense so well that, I mean, it just is I, – I can't say enough about it. Obviously, again, this is going to come off bias, but I, I don't think like a – who are some of the other guys? Lane Kiffin, I don't think his offense is good. It's it's good. It is good. It's not as good. Uh, What, Kendall Bryles kind of one of those guys that's in that conversation. Not as good. Just it's it's not I don't watch those guys and go like like with Hypo's offense, I look and I almost go, I think this guy could take a team get to get a college football team. <laughs> like he it's so effective that he's it it feels like uh what 2010-ish with Gus Malzon with the when he really revolutionized that tempo offense to the point where Nick Saban was wanting to change the rules of college football. Like he frustrated Saban so much that he wanted to change the rules. And he started getting all that talk. Oh, should tempo be allowed? It's bad for defenses and blah, 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 you know, and it, and eventually a whole bunch of other coaches started kind of copying Malzahn. It feels like this might be going in that direction where other coaches might be looking and go, whoa, look at what they are doing. And this is like effective in a way that you probably would never think it would be in an SEC setting. I, there's plenty of argument to be made here, but I just think nobody is innovating more than this guy right now. It's crazy. Well,
1: I think you also, what you brought up there is other teams will look at it. And we've seen Alabama and some of these teams go tempo in some situations. Like Alabama started doing that more towards the end of last year, but why aren't other teams running this? If it's so effective that that's the question I've kind of asked myself is, yeah, you run these huge splits where you kind of force a defense to show their hand. Are you going to defend their own? Are you going to load the box and kind of leave these guys in one-on-one coverage? If you are, Tennessee's going to run by you and they're going to throw it deep. Or are you going to leave the middle of the field open? If you do, you're probably going to run the ball there. You know, it's it's that's the crux of the offense. And if it's that simple and that effective, why aren't more coaches doing it? And I think it's really hard to implement and to install. I think that's part of it. And I think Josh Heupel, for whatever reason, he just has a way to get these players to buy into it and to do exactly what they're supposed to do. I mean, that's it takes a lot of discipline to be that on. Uh, there. You cannot take a playoff if you're in this Tennessee offense. I mean, I know there's even some plays where you got you're running at such a fast pace. If you watch his offense, you'll notice every now and then, there'll be a receiver far out wide that doesn't even run a route. He just kind of stands there while the play goes to the left side of the field, or maybe it's a running play. And that's Hypo's fine with that because you got a defender over there with him. You know, you've lessened the amount of defenders on the field by one or two or whatever the situation is. But even those guys, they got to know where to go. They got to know where to line up. They have to be there really quick. I mean, they have to be locked in every single play. And that not only is it physically exhausting, it's mentally exhausting. So, I think the reason we haven't seen as many teams do this is because it's just not that easy to implement. It's it's it might seem like a simple offense, and maybe some of the concepts are, but it's not an easy thing to coach and to teach. And Heupel, with the Goalish and Joey Hasley and, and Glenn Ellerby, the offensive line coach, you've got a group of guys that they're just they're on the same page, mm-hmm. and they're all preaching the same message to these guys. There's no confusion on who's supposed to do what. I think that's part of what makes it so effective and why we haven't
0: seen that many copycat uh, instances of it. And it really takes guts. Like, it takes a certain type of coach to even want to attempt something like that because he's so relentless with the system, Heupel, to, to the point where in certain situations you go like, okay, it's all right if you, you know, don't you know, put this drive together in 30 seconds, and then you have to punt, like, it, it take your time. It'll be okay. Take your time, you know. But he he's doing it his way. And there's a lot of coaches that won't do that. I, I kind of feel like Napier might be, <laughs> he might be a candidate for needing an offense like that because he's just a balls-of-the-wall guy, apparently. But I uh, think that's
1: yeah. part of his problem, too, is he doesn't have, I don't believe he has a play caller. I think he's calling yeah. his own plays, and I'm not sure that for his situation where he's brought in so many different voices, it's not like hypo where it was just like a mass, you know, moving from UCF, the offensive side of the staff was pretty much all the same guys. He hasn't quite done that. So I think, I mean, there's a real thing about continuity. Like we've talked about it a lot when Jeremy Pruitt was here, but that is, that is massive for a program. You get like the same message year after year, uh, it means a lot when I mean, you're constantly changing your system or changing just just the voice that you're hearing calling plays and the way that they call plays i mean these guys develop a bond with each other they they get to a point where they kind of know and then Hooker knows what alex Gulloch is going to want he knows what josh heifel going to want in that situation they're just they, they can kind of communicate it without speaking you can't and there's no substitute for that at all and that's part of why I think Tennessee's been successful early under Josh Heupel is he came to Tennessee kind of with that continuity with his staff so it made it a lot easier to to translate that to the players
0: and it's just such a clear identity you see so many new coaches I think Napier is one of these guys like you're saying so many coaches that with the offense you just go what are you even doing like yeah some of this works some of it doesn't some you know you're doing one thing here and another thing there and you just go like what do you want to do like, choose a lane and be well, that was
1: in part it. of the problem with Pruitt and Butch is there was no, they had no identity at all. Yeah. There was no, like, you never knew. I remember year three of Tennessee under Butch. And it's like, what is this? What is this team? Like, what is their identity? What do they want to be? Are they trying to run the ball down people's throat? Are they just high flying offense? Like, it never really made sense. It was mostly just Josh Dobbs running around when the play broke down and, and making something spectacular happen. But, this Tennessee offense like you know their identity you know what they're gonna do you know there's gonna be a wide receiver streaking down the field wide open at some point in the first quarter and they're gonna take the shot and it's gonna be this moment that gets everybody on their feet like you know what to expect and what they're gonna be every time they're
0: out there That that's the primary thing about me so far is that you know, everybody always says with like running quarterbacks, people are like, oh, well, they figured him out. They figured out the running court, Lamar Jackson or whoever that gets said about, you know, oh, well, they finally figured out how to, but, but. Like hypo has been running this for years now. Nobody's figured it out. <laughs> there's no, there's no just like, oh, well we did this. And then it's, <laughs> it stopped them. That hasn't, I mean, the closest thing was just Georgia last year where they just, overwhelm you with incredibly superior talent. Like that was as good as you could really hope for. There's something like that. And then I think a big piece of it when it hasn't worked for Hypel so far is his teams shooting themselves in the foot. Um like you saw against the, that was the entire thing against the Pittsburgh this year. Um is just situations like that. Like those things can happen that will stop this offense. But if this thing's running efficiently like it was against Florida, there is no stopping it. Flo- there was nothing that Florida could do it was going to stop that offense. There was always wide receivers open and then they hit you, they run up to the ball and then they, they, you know, they'll run the ball and then that catches you off guard. And like it, it doesn't matter matter what you do. There is just no single thing that's going to snap outside of having unbelievably superior talent. There's nothing that's going to just flip and give you the ability to stop this. And that's another thing that's just so insane about it. I do two big 10 Jeff's credit. I don't know if he's still watching. Ryan day is certainly right there, but I, always it's kind of like having a Heisman conversation about like Bryce Young where I go is Bryce Young truly great or is it just the dudes that play around him are all seven star players coached by the greatest college football coach of all time you know with Ryan Day I kind of go is it that amazing or is it just Jackson Smith and Jigva CJ Stroud is incredible just all of this stuff where he To again, to Ryan Day's credit, he recruited these guys. To Ryan Day's credit, he's just working with an incredible set of players that are from you know number two, number three recruiting classes in America. And Heupel is doing this with just a a patchwork of guys, and a year ago had a roster of less than seventy dudes at one point, and he's still making that offense work. It just, and that's why it's all of that that makes me go like he right now nobody is doing it better than this guy and and just think about what this might look like with five star players in the system that's the thing that i think should be scary to anybody else in college football right now is like what if this dude gets the players that are you know absolutely generational talents that's got to be scary like a uh, Nico Yamalava probably like that's got to be horrifying if you're especially if you're like a Kentucky somebody like that you're probably looking and going oh boy they're finally getting it figured out what am i gonna do he, he beat me in that first year what am i gonna do when he actually gets players in here and that, that's gonna be. i'll tell fun. you what
1: mark mark stoops is gonna do he's gonna exit leave Kentucky. <laughs> yes i've been waiting on it every i don't think that's gonna happen but every off season i've been waiting on him to leave kentucky because Sorry, he's He's a good coach. Like, I think Mark Stoops is a really good coach. Like, you cannot deny what he's done at Kentucky has been impressive. But he's hit his ceiling at Kentucky. And that's because it's Kentucky. Like, that's just the way it's going to be. If he wants to win a national championship or even have a shot at a national championship, he's going to have to leave Kentucky. And I don't know where where he ends up. Who knows? I mean, I thought Florida State job would be open, but maybe it's not going to be now. Regardless, I do think that is what Mark Stoops will do.
0: New, and then Nebraska Kentucky will coach. go.
1: And then Kentucky will go right back to where they were when Joker Phillips was there, and all this other guy. But that's who he took over for, isn't it?
0: Uh yes. God, so I can't
1: believe it's been that long ago. Maybe. He's, I mean, he's one of the longest tenured coaches in the SEC at this point, which is kind mm-hmm. of wild to think about.
0: Yeah, because it's nine wins. Seas get degrees, baby. Nine wins will <laughs> do it for you at, at Kentucky. They, they have Florida, higher standards in basketball. Uh, but.
1: Yeah, not at, like, that's what's the crazy thing about Florida is Dan Mullen got tossed out after, what, a non-win season or something? One,
0: one bad year. Yeah. Uh, well, regardless, it's, I, you know, I, I don't know every single offensive coach in America. There's a ton of offensive coordinators that I have no idea who they are and who's out there. You just look at Heupel's contemporaries, and I personally do not see anybody doing more with less, innovating more running schemes that throw off de- defenses more regularly. And in, and in the same types of ways, again, to go back, like defenses can try these things, but there's only so much that you can do. And he just goes, come and come and stop it. And they just can't <laughs> like it. It is a, a crazy, relentless attacking system that nobody else is doing right now in the same way that this guy is doing it. So in my personal opinion, I agree with Mike Bianchi here. I think he is the the greatest offensive mind in college football at the moment. It, that might change. It might change. But right now, I think he's that guy. And it's crazy that Tennessee has has walked into this. I think it's credit to everybody that made those administrative decisions. But it's no coincidence that Danny White is here. And then this is showing up for you now. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm quite ready to make
1: that bold of a proclamation. It's not that I don't think Hypel is, it's just that it's such a broad conversation, but I think he's in the conversation of like the top three without a doubt. Uh, and maybe he is number one again, there's, there's, I'm sure there's different numbers and things you can pull up that might, might suggest otherwise. Uh, not everybody's always going to agree on that, but. Yeah, he's, he's right there to me, and I know people point to his time at UCF and kind of how – I don't think he was necessarily going backward. I think they had some bad luck in 2020. They had a lot of players that didn't play because of COVID, not to make it excuses for him. But he's going to continue to evolve and get better, and I think we're seeing the offense get better. I mean, the Josh Heupel in 2018 is not – going to be the same as Josh Heupel in 2024 and 25. He's going to continue to evolve and get better. And we've seen that this year. We've seen Tennessee do some things differently than they did last year. We've seen them have answers for the way teams are defending them. I mean, they come out, Ball State comes out, plays a really soft coverage. Uh, We watched that game and we're like, well, Tennessee kind of struggled to get going. And then you're like, oh, well, they scored 59 points, though, at the same time. Like, did they really struggle? Like, we've already become kind of spoiled by this high flying offense, that if he doesn't score sixty points, you're like, well, what's going on here? I mean, that's that's the sign of, of progress, uh, to some extent. So it's it's really it's really amazing to think about, and it's really fascinating to me just the the way he's completely flipped the whole thing so quickly. Wow. Uh, that's I'm really interested in like the behind the scenes stuff of how he has made this work because there's certainly a lot of uh, hard work that's gone into it from him and his staff.
0: Absolutely. All credit to them. You beat Florida. Just keep on winning. That's the key. Winning heals all wounds. It doesn't even the crazy PTSD that Tennessee fans have. You have, you got me believing, which doesn't, that never happened with Pruitt it never happened with Butch. It never happened with Dooley. Um, and you, you got me at least again for the moment. Uh, I'm let's do it. I've, I've been looking for those red flags can't find him i think he's he's probably the most innovative offensive coach in america right now um and that's a great formula so keep it up that's it just go win (laughs) that's all i gotta say don't don't make me have to have these annoying conversations that we've always had about tennessee football coaches and we're all good so there's that this is i think our longest episode ever um but we still we got people hanging
1: that's what that's what
0: that's what beating florida does Oh, that is absolutely true. I mean, we never have more more engagement, viewers, anything like that than, than in a week like this. It's the best. Like, having having an imploding program like the, like the Titans right now, that gets a certain type of viewership. And it gets a lot of viewership. But it's not the same as something like this, where th- this is recurring viewership. When things are imploding, it's like, two weeks, we're going to talk about Fire the Coach, blah, blah, blah. And then people sort of tune out. They don't want to hear it anymore with this. Who doesn't want to hear about a winning team that's doing great things? So, please, Josh Heupel, don't make me talk about Tennessee losing. <laughs> Not even going to think about it. Please and thank you. We will leave it there. Amazing show. Thank you to everybody who who watched who tuned in. You guys rock. There's uh, I I did get during the middle of uh, that show. I I did. Uh, I was I was told to work this in uh about Superbook Sports they sent it to me after I already did the ad read but they have a new ad read for us uh so back to Superbook Sports to end here can you beat Vegas uh can you beat Vegas this football season Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head to head with the best odds makers in Vegas no fancy computer algorithms no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at Superbook in Las Vegas plus Superbook features some of the best odds, boosts, and promo bets anywhere. Download the Superbook sports app or visit superbook.com and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit superbook.com for terms and conditions. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. already said it earlier in the show, download that and get in on the action. Uh, support them because they're supporting us. Cannot appreciate everybody watching more subscribe to the youtube subscribe on the podcast networks on the the a to z sports podcast network is the name of the the show where you'll find us on spotify and apple um and uh i otherwise i oh i love this right here michael allen said been listening to your podcast for a year first time getting to tune in live so glad you got to see us uh michael that's awesome we really appreciate you um it's seriously, it, it means the world in a week like this where everybody's so hyped. It's just so fun. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, I think that is it. I'm Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan uh, at Charlie underscore Burris. at Zach TNT on the social medias. You know where you, you're watching at this point in this show, you know where to find us. A to Z sports.com. Yada, yada, yada. <sighs> it's a bye week Zach. We made it. We're going to go take a week off. So we're not going to take a week off. We'll be back next Monday at 4 p.m. We uh, Mm -hmm. will be back then breaking down the LSU game, telling you everything you need to know about Tennessee sports. And uh, we'll talk to everybody. uh, Yeah, next week.
1: See you guys later.